Sometimes when somebody's really full of themselves, uh, oh wait, I just gave away the punchline to my own joke. Sometimes when people are really arrogant or narcissistic, what do we say they're full of? Themselves, yeah, we just told you that. Um, if you're from Philly, you might say they're, for, they're full of something else, but we won't say that here um, this morning. In the New Testament, numerous authors talk about being full of something else. Do you need me to move over, Darbs? No. Okay. Okay, good. Um, the New Testament authors talk about being filled with something else, being filled not with yourself, but with the Spirit. So what do the authors mean by that? Like, if you, when you become a follower of Jesus, get the Holy Spirit, how do you get more of him? How do you be full of him? If he's in us, how do we get this more of him that we are full? He's either in there or not, right? Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. At this point, you may think, we've talked about him ad nauseum. You're ready to move on to something else. But just a few more weeks, just a few more weeks, we're going to talk about who he is and what he does and how we should relate to him. And the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. It's called the Book of of Ephesians. It's a church he started, and he spent several years developing it. Um, I really like this church, not only because I think the letter of Ephesians is great, but it says that the church rented space at the school of Tyrannus. In the book of Acts, it tells us this, and I like that because of Darth Tyrannus and Count Dooku in Star Wars. Um, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, but when I read through the book of Acts, I'm always like, Darth Tyrannus. Oh. Oh, yeah, that would have been, a, that, that would have, we are also a church plant, and we rent space at an art school rather than the school of Tyrannus, but I want the Star Wars route. Anyways, the um, church plant that Paul started in Ephesians was so successful that those who practiced magic in the city brought out all their books and burned them as an act of repentance. That's in Acts 19. Um, there were all these silver idols that were sold there, and the silversmiths actually lost all their money because there was such a movement of God in the city, and they created this uproar and kicked Paul out. Now he's sending a letter back. He's saying, okay, I haven't been able to come back because I caused too much chaos while I was there. And so he's writing them a letter to encourage them to keep going and to be filled with the Spirit. Let's look at what he says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful. Be very careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days you're living in are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what God wants, what his will is. Don't, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. If somebody had known you really well, had been really influential in your life, and then you hadn't seen them for a couple years, and they wrote you this letter, that's what it's like for the Ephesians reading this. Now in the New Testament, pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. That's where we get our word for pneumatic air power. It can mean wind or breath or spirit. And so when Paul says to be filled with the spirit, he's using a sailing metaphor. He's saying, raise your sails and point your, your boat in the direction with the wind, not against it. When we're going the same direction as the spirit, he both guides and empowers, empowers us to move forward. I rode my Vespa today because, I, you know, I'm a crazy person. 
and the wind was literally blowing me back and forth. Let me, it's really easy to go with the wind. It's really hard to go against the wind. And in some of our spiritual lives, we are actually living against the direction the Spirit wants to go, and that feels hard. That feels difficult. Um, but when we are going in the same direction, we are both guided and empowered, just like a sailing boat is guided and empowered, empowered by the wind. To be filled with the Spirit is to point ourselves in the direction the Holy Spirit is headed and to follow his direction. Now, Paul says, be careful how you live. Be careful that you don't miss opportunities. And he says we need to do this. In order to do this, we need to be wise and not foolish. We need to understand what God's objectives are. He's like, if you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be heading in the same direction as him. In order to do that, you need to be wise and not foolish. You need to know the direction he's heading. You need to understand what his objectives are. You need to understand where he's going to be and where he's not going to be. We need to know what the Holy Spirit's priorities are if we're going to get in line with him and be guided and empowered by him, if we're going to be filled by him. Paul says not to miss any opportunities, and I think we miss opportunities to be filled with the Spirit when we're more concerned about what we want than we are about what God wants. When we're trying to choose our heading through life instead of chasing the wild goose. And you might be like, wild goose? Like, what are you talking about? In Celtic tradition, the Holy Spirit, they didn't picture him as a dove, but as a wild goose. In their experience, they saw the Holy Spirit to be passionate, noisy and courageous, not unlike a wild goose. God's spirit cannot be tamed or contained. Um, in my 20s, I really had life all figured out. Man, I was a genius in my 20s. I don't know about you guys, but in my 20s, I was the smartest person in every room I walked into. I just had my whole life mapped out. I knew exactly what was going to happen. Now that I'm almost 40, I'm like, what an idiot. You know, like I really didn't know how things were going to go. I look back at those plans and I laugh. Life often feels like a wild goose chase. When we're chasing what we want, that chase will leave us tired and disappointed. You will never get everything you want. I know, bummer of Sunday, right? Like, hey, to hear that. And when you do get what you want, it rarely looks like what you imagined. Um, I love being married to Darby. Being married to Darby is wonderful. But sometimes I'll talk to my sister who very much wants to get married, and she has built up this of marriage as like every problem in the world will dissolve if I just find someone to marry. And I'm like, some of those problems will dissolve and a bunch of new problems will solidify, you know? You get all kinds of new, yeah, yes, you, there'll be all new ways to annoy you that you never knew you could be annoyed. Um, when we're chasing the spirit of the living God, the wild goose chase can be the adventure of a lifetime. Now, Ignatius who was an early Christian father, taught the spiritual practice of indifference. And I know indifference in modern English means something different than what he meant. But don't let the word fool you. He's not talking about apathy. He's not, he didn't teach that we just sit down and do nothing and whatever happens, happens. Hey, guys. But rather he taught that we could desire things and work for things. If God seemed to be saying no, we would work, we would do what we could, but then we would accept that we would not get what we wanted. We would continue to work to build the kingdom of God, even if God didn't do what we want. This is what he meant by spiritual indifference. Coming to a point where, as long as the kingdom of God was being built, it didn't matter if I got what I wanted. 
Now, this is deep-level Christianity here. This is not the Christianity that, uh, the popular teaching of American Christianity that's like, hey, three points, I feel really good, and I go home, and I'm like, I've got more energy to pursue my dreams and my passions. This is really deep-level work here. Being filled with the Spirit says, yes, I want to be married, but if the Spirit doesn't blow my life in that direction, I'll be content to build the kingdom of God. Being filled with the Spirit says, I want to do something that matters. I want to move the world. I want people to know my name. I, I want to be somebody. But if the Spirit doesn't blow my life in that direction, I will be content to quietly build the kingdom of God. Being filled with the Spirit means praying like Jesus did before the cross. Remember what he prayed? Not what I want, but what you want, my Father in heaven. Not what we want, but what my Father in heaven wants. That's how we're filled with the Spirit. That's how we align with his direction so that he empowers us and guides us. The difference between a Spirit-filled life and one where we're trying to row uphill to be with Jesus. You ever feel like that, where it's like, I know I'm supposed to want to be with Jesus, but it just feels like rowing uphill, you know? Or becoming like Jesus, like rowing uphill. I, I don't feel like I'm making any changes. And to do what Jesus did just seems like a distant pipe dream. Um, the difference between that and a spirit-filled life is our choice whether to pursue what we want or to choose to pursue what Jesus wants, to die to our desires, or as Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, if anyone wants to come after me, that means be his disciple, be a student of how he lived and loved. He's like, if you want to do this thing, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. That's just not a popular teaching. That's like, nobody like wants to do that. Don't get what you want. Give away your hopes and your dreams and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk on spirits. I don't know if that same word plays there in the Greek, but I you know, um, he's like, don't be drunk on spirits, be filled with the spirit. When you're drunk, you're still you, but you're not the best version of you. Anybody you're like, you're, I'm a better version of myself when I'm drunk. Usually doesn't happen, right? <laughs> you're a worse version of yourself. You don't tend to make the best choices. You're not communicating the best ideas. Um, anybody ever got a tattoo when you're drunk and it's your favorite tattoo? No. Oh, <laughs> Sean, okay. But most people, the tattoos they get when they're drunk are not their favorite. They're the tattoo that they get removed later in life, you know, where they were like, oops, didn't mean to get that one. People who get married in a Las Vegas wedding chapel when they're on a drunken whim, they wake up the next day like, oh man, can we still get an annulment? You know, like, what did we do? When we're filled with the Spirit, He doesn't possess us or control us. We're just aligning ourselves with His power and presence, and doing so makes us the best version of ourselves. Becoming a student of how Jesus lived and loved doesn't make me less Alex. As I become more like Jesus, I'm not like, well, I'm no longer Alex. Like, I'm somebody else. It makes me the best version of Alex possible. Being filled with the Spirit means you're making the best choices, you're communicating the best ideas, because you are surrounded and empowered and guided by the presence of God. Now, Paul gives some examples here of what it will look like when you're pursuing, pursuing the kingdom of God as a result of being empowered and directed by the Spirit. He says, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. If you look back here in Ephesians chapter 5, here's what he says. You'll encourage other people. You'll sing and make music 
And three, you'll give thanks for everything you have. Now, I think from that we can extrapolate some warning signs that we're not being spirit-filled and we'll be critical about other people. We'll be melancholy and depressed. Now, I'm not against psychology or counselors or medication. All those things are needed. But I've met a lot of miserable Christians, not because necessarily that they um, need to go to a counselor, but more because somehow they haven't got from God what they wanted. It's made them miserable, bitter people. And three, you'll complain about everything you don't have instead of being thankful for the things you do. So I think it's a good time to take a self-inventory. Like, do you have the signs that you're spirit-filled, or do you have the signs that you're not, uh, you're not putting your boat in the same direction as the spirit? Even better, ask someone who knows you well and loves you and is able to speak honestly into you. Give them permission to be honest with you. Be like, I promise I'm not going to bite your head off. Just tell me honestly, like, am I an encourager? Do you just see me, like, full, filled with joy? Um, Am I constantly giving thanks for what I have, or am I always complaining about what I don't have? If the answer is no or not often, it might be a good time to sit down with the Holy Spirit, let go of the life you wanted, and embrace the life the Holy Spirit has sent you. I'm a huge fan of the Chronicles of Narnia books. Anybody? Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, yes. A couple of head nods. In the final book, The Last Battle, everything is falling apart. The kingdom of Narnia is invaded. The talking animals have abandoned Aslan, the lion Christ. They've begun to worship this demon who's like a vulture. And the children heroes are bemoaning. They're like, this is not a fun adventure. This is dark and dangerous. This is not the adventure I wanted. This isn't the adventure I wanted to be on. They literally talk about they, they wish they were in a different story without so much suffering and pain and defeat. Um, literally, at the end of that book, Narnia is destroyed forever. Um, it's not like, oh, wow, what a great ending. You know, the, the good guys don't ride in at the end. But as they come to the end of the book, they have this great line. Nothing remains for us but to proclaim the truth and take the adventure that Aslan sends us. Most of us are in a story that wasn't everything we hoped it would be or we would have chosen. We have some good chapters, but we have some bad. And we have some wonderful chapters, and we have some really terrible chapters. It's an act of faith. And the first step in being filled with the Spirit to say, nothing remains for me but to proclaim the truth and take the adventure that Jesus sends me. I can spend my whole life wishing I was in a different story, or I can accept that this is the story that I'm in, and I can still build the kingdom of God, even if I don't get everything I want, I can still be empowered and guided by the Spirit and chase him in this story. As long as I am mad that God didn't give me what I wanted, I won't be spirit-filled. As long as I am chasing my fame, my glory, my self-promotion instead of the kingdom of God, I won't be spirit-filled. As long as I'm trying to do it on my own instead of relying on the supernatural power of the spirit, I won't be spirit-filled. God can only bless us in the real world. He can't bless us in the world we wish we were in. He can't bless us in the imaginary life we wish we were living. And many times we're missing out on him blessing us right here where we are because we wish we were somewhere else. We wish we were still in the past. We wish we were somewhere in the future. And God says, I want to meet with you right where you are. I want to build the kingdom right where you are. And we're missing it because we'd rather be chasing fantasies than dealing with realities. I'm going to encourage you as we end this week to start each day with a simple prayer. 
I'm going to have this up on our social media pages this week as well, so you don't have to try to remember this or, like, write it down or anything. Um, here's the prayer. Jesus, thank you for another day. Today, I realize I'm not here to satisfy my desires. I'm alive to build your kingdom and to serve other people. Thank you for all I have. Help me to trust that you are enough when I think about the good things that I wish I had that for some reason you seem to have said no to. Fill me with your spirit. Guide me to where you're working and empower me to join you everywhere I go and everything I say. May the spirit in me be a beacon guiding people to you. Amen. Let's let that be our prayer this week. Jesus, thank you for the letter to the Ephesians. Um, I'm sure when Paul was chased out of that city, he thought, this is not the way I wanted this story to go. This, things are happening here. This church is growing. Like, this whole city is being changed. Why am I now getting thrown out? It's throwing the whole story off. But as a result of him leaving, he wrote this letter. And 2,000 years, we're reading this letter, and you're speaking to our hearts and minds through it. And God, we don't always understand why the chapters in our lives happen when they do or why they do. But God, I pray that we won't chase after the fantasy of the life we wish we had. Instead, we will encounter you in the life we are given. God, I want to be spirit-filled because otherwise life is impossible. The life of being with you and becoming like you and doing what you did is impossible without your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray if there's somebody watching who's never just said, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Rescue me. Save me from myself. I want to become your student. Lord, I pray they'll do that. And Lord, for many of us, as we examine our lives and we realize we haven't been spirit-filled, Lord, I pray that we'll, do, uh, we'll take time to self-reflect. We'll come to terms with the fact that we don't have the life that we wish we had, but we're not going to waste the life that we have with you. And I pray these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen.